box to box stoppage time. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Hello and welcome to Box to Box Stoppage Time. You're with Rob Gilbert, Derek Dyson and Willem van Dendrum for our podcast where we go through the highlights of our past week, our teams, our moments and plenty more. Two big competitions, AFCON, Asian Cup, uh, split rounds in, in Europe, but the uh, domestic competitions, uh, despite the dramas around the APL, still uh, continuing in Australia. So, you know, there's plenty plenty to choose from. Um, uh, now, game of the week, Derek. Um, I liked your choice. Yeah, we spoke about the Blue Sharks in the main show, and that is Cape Verde, who in their second round game were taken on Mozambique. And they won uh, 3-0 three, uh, three in this game, quite comfortable in the end. Mozambique had, had caused a bit of an upset um, against bigger opposition earlier in this tournament too. So they weren't going to be um, a push over. But the reason that I kind of went for this one is, A, Cape Verde secured their last 16 place by by winning this game and you know as we discussed in the main show we did sure Ghana and Egypt who are the other two teams in this group would have seen the group as a bit of a carve up but um Cape Verde who I must admit I know nothing about really I had to go and look them up on a on an atlas to see where they are uh, got the job done and the name that really um that really leapt out at me was Bebe and I thought where have I heard uh, Bebe before uh, full name Tiago Manuel Diaz Correa um, uh, this is the, well, would have been a Portugal international prospect at Manchester United well over a decade ago, now came in at the same time as, I think, players like Nani, who also comes from Cape Verde or has heritage there, looking for a replacement for, for Ronaldo, uh, that kind of powerful Portuguese wide player um, type forward. Um, he uh, didn't um, really make it at Manchester United, didn't work out. Um, and he's been bouncing around Portuguese League and La Liga ever since, currently at Real uh, Vallecano. And he did switch his allegiance from Portugal, where he played at under-21 level, but went to the, the Blue Sharks um, a couple of years ago. Um, and look, in this game, I don't know if anyone saw the highlights, but they were warned uh, Mozambique. He had one shot from a very long way out um, that crashed onto the bar and he hit hit it knuckleball style like in homage to uh ronaldo and then he had one from even further out it was 40 yards so this was a long way long way out and he hit this ball the goalkeeper a uh, goalkeeping in um african football has uh, uh, dramatically improved over the last decade or so this was a little bit reminiscent of the old days of the goalkeeper from Mozambique. i had no idea where this ball was going flapped at it could only really push it into the corner and uh bebe was uh uh, reeling, uh, reeling around and and uh, and celebrating, um, but they're guaranteed top spot spots in this uh, uh, this group B now, and they will play they will play a Salah less uh, um, Egypt in the next uh, next game. So, well done, the Blue Sharks! Uh, great result. Yep, we asked uh, Rob Stevens from BBC Africa about the minnows, and um, he um, he did talk about them as a potential chance. So um, it's uh, it's a good choice. So if you haven't been watching any of the um, the uh, Afcon tournament so far, um, 
make sure you do yourself a favour because there's been some excellent games. Now, Willem and I have both chosen the uh, the A-League for our game of the week. And, and uh, look, I think most domestic viewers will be aware of the way this one blew up. But uh, I'll talk, of course, of the Mariners 2-1 uh, win over Melbourne City. Uh, the blow-up happened deep into stoppage time. So remember, let's put this into context. So last season, Melbourne City won the A-League Premiership by 11 clear points, but thanks to the now infamous Sydney grand final decision, they were forced to play that grand final in Parramatta, which most people know is just an hour and a bit up the road from the Central Coast, and the Central Coast came down and duly humiliated City 6-1. So plenty of animosity between those two clubs uh, uh, from uh, from that game at, at the very least. So fast forward to match day 13 at the midpoint of the current season, and the return match saw... Well, it looked like a fairly innocuous confrontation between City's Terry Antonis and Central Coast Jacob Farrell in the seventh minute of added time spark. A huge melee. Now, in the wash-up, Central Coast Storm Rue, who had already been substituted, was sent off uh, his involvement from the bench and his captain, Danny Vukovic, also showing yellow cards. Antonis and his teammate, Tolgay Arsenal, were given yellow cards. And, and I couldn't help... Um, one of the reasons that I cho- chose this game is, it, look, it's great to see willing contests between, um, you know, not just derby sides, but teams that have got animosity against each other for other reasons. So that grand final certainly builds that um, that animosity between those two clubs. But but just watching it, 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 it felt like a metaphor for the way the game is going at the domestic level in this country right now with uh, the two teams who were there on that fateful night in Parramatta for the uh, uh, the, the low watermark of the uh, the previous APL administration's decision making, sending that grand final when the, you know the worst uh, possible outcome happened for them, uh, where a, a, a an interstate uh, premiership tied played a pretty much local side, and it all just went pear shaped from there. So. Um, Look, uh, that was my game of the week. It was an entertaining game nonetheless, but but plenty for me of storylines, Willem, um, that were packaged around it as well. Yeah, that's an interesting parallel that I hadn't drawn, to be fair, Rob, so I might need a bit more time to, to sit on that. But no, certainly certainly an interesting point. Um, Tolgay Hustler, and he got, a, he got a yellow card. It was six on one. He was taking on six subs. He, didn't, he wasn't getting any help. Anyone was over... Everyone was sort of still over with the main melee between um, between Antonis and uh, and Jacob Farrell. Storm Roo has got four game has a four game suspension off the back of that. That's just come through from Football Australia, so that's that's pretty severe. And on the footage, it can sort of be hard to see exactly um, what he did in particular. So something something quite considerable has gone down uh, there. Interesting that he was given a red, um, but the two. Um, sort of initial protagonists in, in Antonis and, and Farrell uh, were, were given just the yellow cards by by Aaron Kersey. But um, no, that, that's an interesting broader point about the fact that they were the two sides who did play what we'll look back on in time and think, why on earth is that being played at Parramatta? That should have been uh, at, a, at a packed... Actually, no, I say it should have been at a packed Central Coast. Who finished first? I won't, I won't oh, no, follow no, through no, with that No, no, Melbourne City. Um, so, City, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, you Sorry. have to rewind podcasts and listen to my opening remarks where they finished 11 points clear at the yeah. top. So, yeah, so, uh, no, it, um, well, I, and, and with respect to um, the, um, the passionate supporters of Melbourne City, uh, I'm not sure that even they would have been able to pack out um, Amy Park um, with uh, an opposition um, of, of um, the Central Coast's uh, standing. Yeah. They would have well, to quote Michael well. Edgeley, Rob, massive apologies on that one now from Um, Let's have a look at my game of the week. It is still with the A-League and it was a top of the table clash. Wellington versus Melbourne victory. Now, who was top of the table is anyone's guess given the APL's 
uh, changing of the table rules on us. And doesn't that seem like a, a small point all of a sudden, given what's gone down in the past uh, week and a half or so? 9,000 at the cake tin, always a bit of a, a party atmosphere. Nil all for the bulk of the match, but the second half was all victory after Tim Payne got his uh, tackle on Zinedine Mashash all wrong. That is as red as, uh, as they come. Victory from that point with the man advantage, huffed and puffed and did have one in the net through Volupale, but that was rightly ruled out by Daniel Elder with the, uh, the help of VAR with Chris Economides offside uh, and actually having a final little touch uh, as the ball went in. Uh, Victory did end up getting the go-ahead goal. Volupale really mishit one and Connor Chapman didn't really know too much about it, but it went in and off his, his shins for his first goal of the club. Um, as I mentioned, Daniel Elder, and I want to talk about refs a little bit more broadly later on, but he nailed the first two VAR decisions, but it was the third uh, that this game really hinged on. And what he saw in Jason Guerrier going across Ben Old to win the ball and really not make much contact with uh, with Old at all, I'll never know. And as a, you know, as a victory supporter, I try to be sort of objective about it, but I was absolutely steaming at that. There's no way that's a penalty, and this title race is really on. And if we're going to be serious about the game and about the action on the pitch, which is what it's all about, yeah, that that that's disappointing in, in such an important game. Fair play to Alex Rufa, who at 27 has become quite the veteran and the leader at Wellington, and he uh, yeah he stepped up and buried it. So Phoenix remained top by wins, not by goal difference. How we've always uh, how we've always. Uh, tie broken it if you like uh, for another week so good drama the game itself is is you know is in good health Rob the, the action on the pitch week in week out has, has been brilliant and we spoke about that with Unite Round administratively not great but you know the drama if you can just sit there and enjoy the game the, the league continues to deliver yeah, no, no, fair point. I mean, the um, the the, the players, the the, the managers, um, the uh, the game will always um, succeed despite the best efforts of some um, incompetent efforts uh, at the administrative level. So, uh, yeah, that's a that's a good uh, good observation. So, look, I'm going to kick off team of the week, um, and uh, my team of the week uh, is Leverkusen. Um, Javier Alonso described Piero Incapi's injury time winner um, against RB Leipzig uh, to give him. A three, two, one, uh, as uh, an explosion of happiness um, uh, as they they won late again. Now that that puts them seven points clear of Bayern Munich, who lost uh, to Werder Bremen one nil um, on Sunday two uh, at, uh, at Allianz Arena. So, so Derek, um, is, I mean, as much as he's breaking records, uh, scoring goals, Harry. Um, the uh, the way that this season's playing out, I know I've observed it a couple of times, that on the one hand, he leaves Spurs who are on track to at the very least play European football and uh, and uh, a, a renaissance uh, that's occurring at that club. And um, and he might not um, uh, get the result in the Bundesliga and a certain other individual who was one of his former um, uh, enemies on the park um, might be the bloke that loses the trophy. Yeah, I suppose, Rob, as an Arsenal fan, I have a, a wry grin of what's going on in Germany at the moment. I mean, Bayern are by far, far from having a bad season at the moment. Yeah, you're right, they are seven points behind. They do have a game in hand, which would reduce that to, to four. They've, they've won 13 out of 17 games, drawn two, lost two. I think in any other season, they would expect to be top of the league. But it's just that... Leverkusen having this extraordinary season right now, and I'm sure Harry Kane, when he joined, um, you know, joined Bayern, saw the trophy cabinet, saw what a trophy looked like for the first time, um, would have been thinking, right, okay, here we go. He obviously lost uh, his first attempt at a trophy. I think it was a kind of Super Cup type game. I think they lost a 
Dortmund in that in that first one. Um, and yeah, not going all his own way uh, this season. And of course, yeah, Bayer Leverkusen uh, being powered by former Arsenal captain, midfield dynamo, uh, Granit Xhaka, uh, who probably, you know, probably if you'd asked him in his heart of hearts, wouldn't have thought that he would have been playing for a, for a title in, in his first season. But under Xavi Alonso, he's, he is now seen as uh, the next breed of emerging managers now for, you know, do look out now for Xavi Alonso being linked with every major European job going forward. He's kind of, he's got a suave look about him. He's thoughtful. He's, you know, multilingual. He's obviously played for a, a host of really successful managers. So yeah, he's an impressive, he was an impressive player. He's you're looking like he's a, an impressive manager and this is not a team full of superstars. We joke about Xhaka, but looking at their um, current team list, there, there's no one there that really leaps out as uh a star name so yeah we'll, we'll keep a track of uh, Leverkusen uh, we've got to keep a track of Girona as well in La Liga they are falling a little bit off that now but they're still very much in the the race in La Liga but yeah seven points for Leverkusen it will start feeling real all of a sudden mm, very much so now your team of the week um You've, um, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm interested to hear your observations as you head to Saudi Arabia. Yeah, I'm going to go and check in on uh, Al Etifak, uh, who uh, one of one of the teams that are often in the news uh, from the Saudi League. Uh, we haven't been to the Saudi League in a while, I think, in in stoppage time. And you know, regardless of our views of how this league is um, being formulated and the ultimate machinations for the people involved behind the scenes. You know, there are significant players and, and there's significant things happening in this league now and we need to talk about it. With Al Etifak on, on the plus side, they've signed up Stephen Gerrard now until 2027. Um, this is a bit of a surprise, I think, because his record isn't great. Uh, he's won seven of 21 games there so far. If he was in the Premier League, you know, this is not, you know, quite uh, sacking uh, territory, but it's it's not too far away, particularly the outlay that this particular team has got. They finished seventh last term. They currently sit eighth in the table. They're currently uh, 28 points behind uh, Al-Hilal in the league. Um, he did have a good start with them. He, he won uh, five of the first seven games, but um, they've not won in the last eight matches before the, the, mid, the, the big mid-season break they have in Saudi Arabia, and, and he is one of the best-paid managers in world football, earning about fifteen million pounds a year. I think we can safely understand why why TVG uh, is staying uh, in uh, in Saudi for the moment. Um, you know, we've been laying the boot into the golden generation of England in this show over the last few weeks and months, and bemoaning the fact that a lot of these players or ex-players like uh, Frank Lampard. Wayne Rooney are not making it. You know, Steven Gerrard is still hanging on in there uh, as a manager. It's probably the best place he can be at 15 million a year. I don't think there can be many better places he can he can be at the moment, but there's plenty of work to do there, particularly because he's losing his talisman and his captain, Jordan Henderson, uh, who's giving up his $1 million a week uh, to go to join Willem in, uh, in Amsterdam. Like, Willem could well be one of the reasons why um, Jordan's going there, no doubt. Willem, you could you could give him a tour. There'll be lots of things that he will not have enjoyed living in Riyadh in Saudi Arabia that he will be able to access in uh, in Amsterdam. That may maybe more of a 
uh, a relaxed environment uh, there for there for him to join a few stag parties um, and, and sort of unwind from from his time there. But uh, uh, Henderson, you know, he went there with under a cloud. There was a, a lot of people that uh, uh, criticised his uh, move there in the LGBTQ plus community, who who he said that he had standing up for in the past, but he's gone to this country and he took he took that. He took that flack and he took that as another one of these players, including Cristiano Ronaldo and, and Benzema, as others who who went over to take the uh, the Saudi the, the Saudi money. But he um, he failed to settle in, and it looks like he's cut a deal to leave. Um, quite happy to 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 get away to Amsterdam. He'll certainly be playing in front of more people. I think you know we were bemoaning A League attendances the other day. Well. El Etifak, I think, struggled to play in front of more than 700 people. Not quite the uh, the cop there. And I just wonder, there's now rumblings that uh, Benzema might be the next out of Saudi as well. So I think it just goes to prove that the players can come for the money. It is a very different environment, Saudi Arabia, but I'm sure that everything is laid on for them in terms of they've got all the money that they want. I'm sure that, that they are, their lives are extremely comfortable and and modern, but uh, not everyone is going to settle there. And I wonder, I wonder, Rob, whether we'll see other players rebounding their way out of Saudi, like uh, like Jordan. Well, they might uh, they might rebound, but they're not going to go directly home. One of the reasons he can't go directly home is because he'll have to pay a big fat tax bill. So uh, uh, whilst there, there would have been a club for him, um, you would have thought in the Premier League, even if the lower reaches, uh, even the Championship, um, uh, not uh, not uh, criticising Ajax despite their lowly uh, spot on the uh, Eredivisie ladder right now. But um, that's one of the reasons he's going there, Willem. Hey, Willem, uh, you're... Team of team. the week is uh, one that um, that I, I um, noticed in uh, you know you asked me a question about Afcon and uh, um, pleased to see them um, doing well. This is Iraq, of course. Well, it is your team of the week, isn't it? Yes. Sorry, um, they're former winners, Rob. They need to be respected, but I think maybe in pre-tournament previews and, and dispatches, maybe they weren't. Maybe they were perhaps seen as a bit of a dark horse or a left of centre um, contender, and I think that absolutely needs to be reassessed after their wins over Indonesia, okay, but Japan most certainly. Uh, they play under Jesus Kazas, uh, and they play just a really direct, simple, sort of powerful brand with a, a, a strong number nine in Ayman Hussein, who's just a real beast and, and creates carnage, but when he gets the chance, he's got the, the soft touch with the finish as well. You watch the Socceroos, and they're aside sort of trying to come to grips with themselves. There's there's issues, there's sort of, not not awful issues, but there, there's pressure. And it's a team that you can see a sort of, you know, frustration can can build and mount and, and they're trying to sort of work things out on the fly. Whereas this side just seemed to play with a, a sort of simplicity but and, and a physicality and they, they seem to be enjoying themselves. And um, I, I think they've been absolutely fantastic through their first um Couple of couple of matches. The striker Hussein, uh, as I mentioned, he, he really plays up to the crowd, feeding off his scraps. They've got twenty year old Yusuf Amin, uh, who's at Eintracht Braunschweig in uh, in Germany, uh, and then having gone two 0 up against Japan, they set up really nicely at the back with three three big blokes in Saluka. Uh, Sadna Tiknaji and, and Hussein Ali. Uh, they've played their toughest two group stage matches. They've got Vietnam to come who uh, have fluctuated and really just will be no match for them uh, physically. Uh, so you'd think that they will go through first considering they've got Vietnam and Japan are two points off them heading into that third and final match day uh, which will be today as you, as you hear this. Uh, and they'll meet a, a third place to finish having gone through first I believe. So they are right on track to go DP Rob Iraq. 
Yeah, and um, and as I mentioned in the uh, in the um, you know the main show as well, it's um, it, you know the, these these countries that that that, that have have it uh, yeah a little harder than a lot of uh, countries uh, around the world like uh, Australia, England, and you know many many Western countries. Uh, football is uh, is just such a, a a blessed relief from some of the challenges of life. Uh, that um, it's, regardless of what you think of their politics, it's um, it's nice to see from uh, uh, the the. The perspective of the man on the street. Okay, hot topic time. I'm going to kick off, and I'll, there's a little clip I just wanted to play before I get into it. We are now at a tipping point. The game can get stronger, or it could break if vested interests prevail. Willem, do, do you recognise that voice? That'd be Stephen Lowy. That would be roughly was it December 2020. Yeah, it was about then when um, yeah. the uh, the APL broke away from Football Australia, and um, you know I don't think he'd take any pleasure in his uh, Nostradamus style predictions because uh, you know we've covered this in the main show in detail, and uh, and you know look, I, I don't often sort of uh, name check uh, journalists who write on football who are experts in other codes, but in this case, um, I am a fan of Andrew Webster. He's largely an NRL journalist in Sydney, and uh, for me, one of the more level-headed voices in sports journalism, and entertaining as well, if you get to listen to him on a podcast as well with the Sydney Morning Herald. So when he strays out of his lane to write an opinion piece on football, I read and dissect what he writes with a critical eye, and it's with that in mind that I, I, I do recommend our listeners to his piece from last Thursday um, with the headline, Careful What You Wish For, because that clip uh, certainly talks about it, where Lowy warned at that final media conference uh, before he stepped down as chairman uh, in uh, August 2018, as it turns out, Willem, uh, uh, he wrote, they were heady days for football. The smell of revolution was in the air. Lowy and his board were under attack on several fronts, but mostly from A-League club owners, who wanted more power and money. Well, they've got it, and look what they've done with it. Um, they've blown um, the um, the golden goose, and uh, and now you know they've got another fifty million coming in from the expansion clubs. Uh, so surely, you know, it was it was the City Group who who were behind all of this originally. Um, surely they can put their money where their mouth is and and help to uh, to to get this ship back on track. Because uh, you know, whilst the football on the pitch is is good, um, the organisation of it is uh, at the moment for the APL um, uh, it's stinking up the joint. So um, yeah, uh, Stephen Lowy, sadly, yeah. you were right. Yeah, if I can just jump in, Rob. Yeah, I, I, sorry, it was a little bit earlier. That was when he was down in 2018. But by that point, I mean, this was a, a, a multi-year civil war that mm. sort of rolled on forever. Mm. Um, so the, the unbundling was certainly on, on the on the platter at, at that time. I think it had to happen. I think this went on for, for five or six years and the game was absolutely stuck in the mud. And I think it was at a juncture where to not take the chance... Well, well, well I'm not saying was, it shouldn't not, have happened. No, 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 that's, no, not, that's not the point. No, no, no. It, it's the, it's no, 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 I'm not arguing money. with you. Yeah. I'm, no, no, I'm not, I'm not arguing with you in the slightest. I'm just sort of sort of trying to put myself back in the mindset of what everyone was thinking at the time. And while in hindsight, it now looks like, yeah, an error. Um, I think we needed to take the punt either way. And yeah, it has been nothing short of a disaster. That is undeniable. Okay. Well, we'll keep watching this space. Uh, um, if you didn't listen to the main show, um, I suggest you go back and have a listen to Joey Lynch's thoughts. Uh, um, hopefully they'll stick to their knitting now, get the football right, get the organisation of the clubs right, get these expansion clubs right, uh, make sure that the um, the legacy of the Women's World Cup um, uh, plays out the way that it should do and um, and this mess can um, can be 
chalked off as uh, as a, an error in in the fullness of time, as hopefully the A League um, has reached its nadir in terms of administration and, and goes on uh, to to better things from here. Um, all right, well, um, your hot topic, A-League refs, mate. Uh, I know we're putting the boot into a bit of uh, A-League news, but um, what's uh, what are you going to give us um, from an A-League ref point of view? I, I, I don't suspect no, it's no. going to be a compliment. No, no, it's not It's not overly negative. I recall Jared Gillett, rhymes with Fillet, as Brenton Speed used to say, he refed in the A-League for 10 years and was never given a great deal of credit. He was sort of criticised around the traps as being not brilliant. And then a, a video went up with... Um, with the mics and how he interacted with other refs through our game and how they worked through decisions. And it was really widely praised and people sort of started to think about him a little bit differently. And then um, before you know it, he's over in England and he's working in the lower reaches of the the referee ranks. Then he gets a VAR job. Now he's taking senior Premier League matches. And um, it always sort of stood out to me as just an example, another example of how maybe we don't value our game here um, as it is valued abroad. And that's something that Simon Hill often, um, often sort of pushes as well. So Sean Evans, another one who is criticised here domestically, um, took charge of the Saudi Arabia Oman game as well as a couple of others uh, at the uh, at the Asian Cup. Um, Kate Jakovic is also there, a, a stalwart of, of the women's game, who's who's um, become involved in, in the men's game as well. And he reffed it pretty well, but he was unfortunately stuck in a, a pretty sort of sticky moment at the end. Um, it was a, a tight, tense game where a late goal was going to make all the difference. The goal went in. It was given offside. He was asked to come over and, and have a look at the VAR. And everyone then criticised him for making the wrong uh, the wrong motion, the wrong signal, but I want to go into bat for him. I think he absolutely nailed it. He pointed to the offside decision. He made the the cross, the no to the offside, and then he gave the goal. So then the goal kick, everyone sort of lined up for the goal kick. It was misinterpreted. Um, then it sort of had to be flipped back. So the Omanis were, were absolutely filthy. But um, yeah, I thought everyone to a man and, and the commentators got it got it wrong. I thought he uh, absolutely nailed it. So well done, Sean Evans. I'll, uh, I'll stand up for you there. And for Aussie refs, all told up. Okay. All right. Well, I'm pleased to hear it was a compliment. Well done. Uh, bring us home, Derek, with your uh, hot topic, one of your favourite topics um, in world football. Yeah, that's right, Rob. I do feel like I'm, you know, a little bit late to the party by the time this podcast goes out, but I do want to talk about Jose Mourinho. Love him or hate him. He's still making the headlines in 2024 after he was uh, sacked uh, by Roma. Uh, on, on the surface, this wasn't a Huge surprise, a poor results this season. They were sitting in ninth, albeit uh, five points off the Champions League. Uh, but they did have a very damaging loss to Lazio there. Very, very bitter uh, cross-city rivals uh, that uh, recently. So he was also going a bit mad. I think he described himself as, as Harry Potter, uh, raising expectations at Roma. Uh, very easy to think that he is more Lord Voldemort than Harry Potter. But anyway... Um, it's important to emphasize, though, that Mourinho was is probably the most loved manager in Roma history. He's a, he is a cult hero here. Um, he kind of embraced the chaos that is Roma, that mad city full of these uh, hugely passionate fans like no other. And I think they saw him as uh, one of them. And the vibe was very different to his ill-fated stints at the likes of Manchester United. Um, and Spurs, and, and there was genuine tears. I don't think there were crocodile tears. There were genuine tears as he left the training grounds. He was having a meeting with the American owners. I think he thought he was going to be talking about a new contract, and they came to sack him. Um, the results hadn't been good. 
a tax change in Italy as well this year meant that Mourinho wasn't exempt from uh, quite a big tax bill on his wages uh, that he would have been in previous years as someone with that sort of um, you know special talents for the special one. Um, he's high, really. He won the Europa Conference League a couple of years ago. Remember, this is Roma's first ever European trophy. And while it's uh, not the most important or glamorous, it's still a, a European trophy and their fans really loved it. And, you know, they were pretty close to reaching the Champions League, losing the Europa League final last year on penalties. Um, the, the, he will be ruining that probably till uh, till the day he dies. Uh, his antics, of course, after the game, unforgivable. And, and this is why we kind of have Schadenfreude around Mourinho. He, he is the man that we love to hate. And I think he quite loves the fact we hate him too. He is still the last manager of an Italian team to win the Champions League. Um, of course, now, where to next? Lots of people speculating Newcastle. Some, some people are suggesting Barcelona, which is completely mad. Um, but wherever he goes, he'll be looking to add to his amazing record of payouts. And I will give you them now before I wrap up. Chelsea first time around, £18 million. Real Madrid, £17 million. Chelsea, again, £8 million. They went back again and got burned. Manchester United, £20 million. Spurs, £15 million. Roma, just the £3 million. That is £81 million. British pounds, gents, in Aussie dollars, I don't know, that's maybe £120 million just in payouts. That is incredible. Well done, Jose. Uh, look forward to seeing where you come uh, in next. <laughs> that's bizarre. <laughs> I knew it was a lot, but that, that, that is ridiculous. So well, maybe look, uh, the A-League, you know, there's, there's coaching opportunities here on a regular basis. Maybe you'll come down here. Uh, no, I don't think it's uh, the end of Jose. There will be a European job for him before... Uh, um, before he puts his cue in the rack eventually. Nice one, Derek. Thank you. All the best, Jens. And Willem, thank yep. you as well, mate, uh, for uh, for another uh, classy edition of Stoppage Time. No, thank you, Robin. I do want to say, having said that I support Aussie refs, I did can Daniel Elder earlier in the, the Stoppage Time. But as Joey Lynch says, two things can be true at once. Yes, exactly. Correct. And to Adam Maloney, our good friend, on the buttons, making sure this podcast comes together as uh, as uh, efficiently and uh, professionally as it can possibly come. Thank you, Adam. Please subscribe to Box to Box Stoppage Time and Offside, wherever you get your podcast. Tweet us at Box to Box NTS and follow us on Twitter. And make sure you like us on Facebook and join us throughout the week as our podcast drop and we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.